Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk a little about soil pH. That impacts everyone. I don't care if you farm conventionally or you farm organically. I don't care if you farm on a small basis or on a big basis. I don't care if you just have a lawn, you have a shelter belt, you have any ground at all. Soil pH is absolutely impacting the plants on your farm or around your home today. So we will talk about soil pH. What's the ideal pH? How do you fix a low pH? How do you fix a high pH? And how do you work through some of these issues where you say, oh boy, my soil pH is way off. What do I at least do in the short term until I get it fixed? We're going to go through all that on the show today. If you've got any questions for us, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit later in the show, but this soil pH thing is a really big topic, and let me start you with this. Magnesium can raise soil pH about 1.6 to 1 compared to calcium. So in other words, if you have excess magnesium, that is a cause of pH going higher. If you have excess sodium, that's even worse. Sodium can raise pH roughly 4 to 1 compared to calcium, So anytime you get sodium over 1% in your base saturation test, you are at risk of your soil pH rising and that sodium getting worse and your soil eventually dying. So you got to really manage the sodium thing for multiple reasons there. On the low pH side, one of the biggest challenges that we see comes back to nitrogen management. If you have excess nitrogen, Well, that nitrogen will typically turn to nitrate. Then it turns to nitric acid, and it strips calcium out, and that is what can really lower your pH. So we see a lot of variability, and this is probably the number one thing that I want to stress throughout the show today. And if you get nothing else out of this, this is the point I want you to hear. You have, and we have on our farm too, variability throughout our field. So if you are taking big grids or big zones or you're doing composite testing with your soil sampling, please stop that. You need small grids or small zones to figure out where that variability is on the soil pH so you can properly address your pH issues. Let me put it to you this way. If you overdo it on, let's say, phosphorus, and you get double the amount of phosphorus on an acre that you know you're trying to put 100 pounds and you get 200 pounds on there is it that big a deal no is it going to hurt your yield almost always it will not unless of course your zinc or copper in relation were really really low so it's not that big a deal it's not the end of the world but on the other hand if let's say you overdo it with lime because you think your ph is low and it's really not well now you create a major issue and the reason why i'm telling you this right now and this is my key point for the day is We've screwed this up on our farm. I, most people aren't going to tell you about the mistakes that they made. We we enjoy talking about those things. Doesn't bother me uh, because I, I just figure, hey, if we've screwed it up, chances are other people have too. They just won't tell you. But here's exactly what happened on our farm. We had bigger grids or zones. In some cases, we were using each. We put lime where we thought we needed it. And as it turned out, we didn't need lime everywhere. 
So if we would have just gone with small grids or zones, we would have identified, ooh, we don't need lime here at all. Let's not put lime here. So what did we do? We had spent money on lime where we didn't need to, number one. We raised pH excessively, and so that hurt our yield, number two. And number three, to fix the problem, we had to put on more elemental sulfur, which cost us money. So that's lose, lose, lose. And those things aren't real good for the pocketbook, nor are they good for your yields, nor are they good for your pride. And so I don't care what it is that's motivating you. The point is you want your soil pH to be where you want or need it to be so you can maximize your yield and your profit and your pride factor. So let's talk about what is that ideal soil pH. It varies depending on the crop. I would just say if we're talking corn, soybeans, and wheat, the three biggest acre crops in the United States, corn, soybeans, and wheat like a soil pH somewhere in that 6.3 to 6.8 kind of range. That's where we'd like to be is somewhere in the sixes. And if I, as long as I'm in the sixes somewhere with corn, soybeans, or wheat, I'm probably going to do no adjustment. Now, I'll, I'll give you two other examples on each end of things. So on the high side, alfalfa. Now, we can talk about barley and some of these other crops that can do fine in high pH, but I'm bringing up alfalfa today because alfalfa is very intolerant of low pH soils to the point where if you have a soil pH that's below 6, your alfalfa yield, your alfalfa tonnage, horrible, just horrible. And yes, there is a limit to what you can spend on lime, but I'm trying to say here is really super crazy bad. So your lime would have to be off the charts expensive before you would not be able to afford it to fix a low pH soil if you're trying to raise alfalfa. It wants its pH right near 7. If you don't have your pH right near 7, you are not going to maximize that alfalfa yield. It's got to get up there. It should not be in the low 6s, and it definitely shouldn't be below 6. Now, on the other hand, there are some crops that really like low pH. So blueberries, for example, the ideal pH I've read in many many, many publications, they claim is 5.5. I don't know if that's now, the idea. I, we I don't, don't believe you're right on that, Brian. Well, here, I really I really believe that let, let be, me finish. blueberries yeah. can just tolerate it better I, than others. Let me, let me finish. I'm just saying whatever the case, I you know, whether I'm right or wrong, the point is some crops can do better at low pH. So whether that's the exact ideal or if it's 5.8 or 6 or whatever, we do know it's lower than what alfalfa is. And so the big thing is you want to pay attention to what crop you're going to raise, what pHs it can tolerate and thrive in. And so it's not just tolerate, but it's thrive in. Where do you maximize yield? That's where the pH thing really enters in. And so the first thing we're always going to tell you is look at soil pH first in a soil test. Please look at soil pH first. That often is the biggest factor in determining yield beyond variety selection and and many of these other things. We'll talk drainage first, then we get to soil testing, but soil pH is top on that list. We're going to talk about it throughout the show today. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. (sighs) Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Ag PhD has one mission 
to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you listening to our program today. I know there is a lot going on right now. One guy that I know is harvesting at this moment is Kelly Garrett down in Iowa. Kelly's with Extreme Ag and and also runs an operation in Western Iowa. Kelly, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Darren? Pretty good. I saw a picture with three combines rolling through the field yesterday, and I thought, man, that's awful flat ground. I saw some other people had the same observation for you. So <laughs> apparently you're not just working on your own farm. You're helping other people out too, which is cool. Uh, how's harvest going for you? It, it's going really great. Uh, Matt Miles taught us how to desiccate beans, Matt and Kevin Matthews. And desiccation of soybeans, Darren, is one of the biggest things in my life. It's awesome. Really? Okay. So, Talk to us about that. Brian, Brian yeah. gets nervous about that. He wants to see it green I, as long as he I, can. I do. I just I worry, Kelly, that we're going to do it too early and that we're going to hurt yield. So, I mean, in my experience over the years, guys always want a frost. And I go, no, don't want a frost because whenever we don't have a frost, we get a little higher yields because there are always some green ones out there. And I don't want to kill them prematurely. So how are you doing it without hurting yield? So what Matt taught Kevin and I, and then, you know, Kevin's been working with Mike Evans, my agronomist here on the farm. When you look at the, the beans in the pod in the top four nodes, and when those beans are not attached to the membrane anymore, they're no longer growing. And at that point, you're just waiting for the plant to die and the beans to dry down. So Mike scouts every field. And, of course, with our hills, there's some variability. So we have to wait for the tail enders, of course. But when the beans are not attached to the membrane in the top four pods, we desiccate them. Well, you know what? Once those beans are released, you're right. You're safe from frost, so you're safe from desiccation at that point, too. You're not feeding anything else into the seed. Exactly. And exactly. It's, it's one of those things that it does. You're right. It takes a lot of work to know exactly where you're at out in those fields. And, you know, one of the things that we're talking about today is soil pH. And I know as we look at soil pH maps, sometimes uh, you can see those maps playing out in your field, too, in terms of limiting yield in certain areas of the farm. What do you fight where you're at? Do you fight low pH or do you fight high pH? 
We have both. We're actually putting lime on right now. But a bigger problem is high pH. I, we are putting some lime on, like I say, but a bigger problem is pH. And the number one priority that an operator must have, in my opinion, is addressing your high pH. And where we have high pH, we have base saturation problems. And in my hills, I have a calcium problem that goes along with my high pH. And if you do not address that calcium problem, there's no reason to try a lot of the other things we try because the calcium will tie it up and you're wasting your money to a degree. Okay, so when you say a calcium problem, you're talking about high calcium. There's also the low calcium problem, which most of the time lime is our solution for that. It's interesting, as we look at pH, and I know Neil Kinsey would say this too, that, that we run into an imbalance out in the soil of something, one thing or the other, and you're saying calcium is often the yes. culprit on your farm. I tell you, calcium is a very frustrating nutrient to me because I have too much of it in my soil, and it ties up my nutrients. But, like, you, you know, working with Jason Sly from Next Level Ag, Jason, will tell, he, Jason told me in June he'd looked at 8,000 tissue samples, and the number one nutrient that we were lacking was calcium. So I've got too much calcium in my soil tying up my nutrients, but yet I don't have enough available calcium that I get enough into the plant. So that is, quite, that is a frustrating thing that we are going to really work on next year. Yeah, there, there are a lot of challenges out there, and when it comes to pH, it's important to get a full, complete soil sample to see what's happening. I love it. We bring up pH, and Kelly just talks about calcium, and you're right. That's been a tricky one for us to get uh, completely under control on our farm, too. All right, Kelly, I know you're busy. I appreciate you having me on. Good luck to you. Stay safe. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Brian. See you, guys. You bet. Got Patrick Chase with us right now, state soil scientist in Iowa. Patrick, how are you doing? Uh, great. Good afternoon. How How's it going up there? Well, pretty good. Okay, so we just had one of the highest-yielding farmers in the state of Iowa on. Uh, Kelly does a great job, and he said he's fighting calcium issues. What do you see as you travel across the state of Iowa? You look at soil samples and just understanding uh, what's happening in the soil there, what kind of parent material you had, everything that goes into this. I know, I know low pH is a problem. Uh, I'm assuming you got some high pH questions uh, that come up throughout the year as well. Of course. Uh, we've got some of those soils that have a real high calcium carbonate in the soil uh, that are is just down below uh, our topsoil that we're using. And then the topsoil, sometimes it needs a little bit of addition to because that's most of what you're growing in. So that is quite the frustrating battle that you're talking about there. Um, and, and trying to relate that to not only just the function of plants and yield, but what's the overall function of your soil, too. Biology is, is really impacted by uh, that pH and how they can either make the nutrients available or immobile, tied up, things of that nature. Sure, sure. And I, I think about it. My dad grew up in, in north central Iowa, and they just had totally different equipment available to them. The The testing obviously has gotten a lot better and more affordable. And for farmers now doing reduced tillage, we get a lot of these questions, even in the state of Iowa. I know Iowa, a lot of people think, oh, no, it's all flat and black and everybody does conventional tillage. That is absolutely not the case across the entire state of Iowa. So what do you see for the guys that are reducing tillage and changing practices? Oh, uh, usually those that are reducing the tillage and, and trying to get into uh, more of those kind of things, like you're saying, um, if they're seeing increased organic matter in their soil, that helps with buffering 
too. So they're able to maybe have that CEC a little bit higher, able to withstand uh, a little bit different variation because that organic matter really helps smooth things through. I know North Central Iowa is probably the biggest uh, amount of that calcium in the soil there just being such a young landscape. It hasn't had the water to go through that soil profile and kind of make it leach down further. So that's probably the main place we're seeing high calcium levels. And then a lot of the other part of the state is fairly normal. Yes, we do have some of those as well with higher areas, but they're a little more located in certain spots more than largely distributed. Now, I know the, the liming happens. I, I know the farm that my dad grew up on, they they tend to lime every few years in, in some cases. Are there lots of different lime sources across Iowa? Is water treatment plant lime an option, or are there a lot of other options that the growers are choosing? Um, I, I think they're using about anything that's available, just because in most instances your trucking cost is going to be the biggest expense more than the lime itself. So trying to get a good test on what is the content of that to make sure you distribute it properly is the the bigger concern, I would say. And just knowing that liming's in the long game too, because it takes a, a bit to be able to get that out there, let your biology work on it enough to affect the numbers in the soil. So I mean, if you have to take a, another test after six months to a year, that, that might be about as long as it takes to actually function in the soil. You know, another thing that, that has a tough time in the soil is sodium. Do you run into a lot of sodium issues? And if so, what is the cause? Uh, we haven't really come into much for the sodium issues. Um uh, I haven't really have had many questions uh, against that uh, around oh, here. Okay. I know that's, there are some of those that's with good. Uh, maybe uh, I've heard of some of those instances, maybe if there's over application of nutrients, sometimes those have higher salt um, fertilizers, things like that can cause a little tie up in there, try, either with uh, affecting Sure, how sure. things break down are available or even water holding capacity because they don't let the water available to your plant as much as they should. Yeah, it is uh, It is definitely a diverse state in Iowa from, from one end to the other. Lots of, lots of different soils and so forth, and that's why we love having Patrick Chase on here from time to time, state soil scientist over in Iowa. Patrick, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Talking about soil pH, why is it high or why is it low and how do you get things fixed? We would love to hear how you're doing things on your farm. And of course, if you have any agronomic questions, that's always great to hear from uh, our listeners as well. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Talking about soil pH on the show today, but also taking any agronomic question you may have at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Sit down to Arkansas. i got our friend Rob Dedman on. He's a crop consultant down there and certainly has to run into some less than ideal soil pH situations from time to time. Rob, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. How are you all today? Pretty good, pretty good. Okay, I think about your area of the country, and I think about low pH. Do you? Do you? I'm assuming you run into a lot of low pH, but do you run into a lot of high pH too? You know, just just a little bit north of us, we do get into some high pHs, and sometimes with uh, some of our uh, groundwater, we, we do we run the pH up pretty high. We can get into some, you know, mid sevens to to eight pHs if we're not careful. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's the irrigation thing is really interesting. And I know we're not irrigating on our farm, so we miss out on some of this fun. But one of the things that I hear a lot about is people need to be testing their water sources because if it's high pH water, it's eventually going to change the soil. So do you see that where you've got good subsurface drain tile? Or is this 
fields that don't necessarily drain the best naturally? Well, the high pH soils are, are, are typically where we're pumping uh, this groundwater from really deep. And, and it contains a lot of calcium in it, and it's just years of continuous pumping. But, you know, if that, that area seems to be more contained to the Grand Prairie part of Arkansas. And um, then the, uh, in our immediate area, you know, we use a lot of surface water. And, and, and we have problems with the pHs getting low, you know, with the, with the fertilizers and things like that, with all the nitrogen fertilizers and stuff we use. We tend to want to drive the pHs a little bit lower at times. Sure, sure. All right, so on this low pH soil, everybody says, well, why do you guys even talk about low pH soil? It's just lime, but lime is expensive in many cases, and it's a lot of work to get it all done. How often are guys liming there, and are there some common things they could do a little bit different so they wouldn't have to lime quite as often? Well, you know, I mean, I guess the thing we got to realize is, is if, you know, lime, which is calcium, you know, primary component of calcium, we got to realize that when we when we're when we're harvesting the yields that we harvest, you know, we talk about well, we're going to replace our uh, P and our K and our zinc and, and and sulfur and stuff like that. But nobody ever talks about how much calcium are we going to replace. Sure, it's on the removal app, but that seems to be off everybody's radar. Sure. And and you know when you go years and years and you continue to harvest the uh, calcium out of there, at some point in time you're going to have to put it back. Or, you know, everything's going to get out of balance. So I, I think it's just, you know, for us, try to maybe every five years have to look at it. But, you know, we're we're grid sampling on a uh, two-year rotation, uh, half to farm one year, half to farm the next year type deal. And it's just we're going to do it as we need to do it. And, you know, we, we do everything on two-acre grids, and, and it is what it is. I mean, it's just, to me, lime is another part of the uh, fertility program, you know, and it's it's a very important part of the fertility program because without proper pH, everything else doesn't work right. Now you're right about the calcium that most farmers that we talk to, I'd say almost all farmers we talk to aren't really calculating that in. They're looking at NPNK and to some degree sulfur. And after that, it's, uh, well, occasionally if I have to, I'll put on some of the other things. But but you're right, calcium is super important. We don't want to run short, and, and we're using some up every single year. All right, Rob, how's yeah. how's harvest going down in your country? Just want to get a quick update and see see what guys are up to in the field. Done with the corn, done with the rice, two of the best years we've had, or two of the uh, best year we've had for both crops so far. Seems like uh, we're about 50% with the beans and hope to start on cotton maybe by the first of the week. Awesome. What what would you rate the the bean and cotton crops to look like this year? If, if corn and rice think, are fantastic, I, I think cotton crops going to be about an average crop uh, due to this last this weather we've had here recently. It's caused quite a bit of bow rot, and uh, I think the bean bean crop, you know, as well as the rice and corn, could be one for the books. Outstanding. Well, that's fun. I, I love hearing that things are going good somewhere because there's always lots of challenges. Everyone wants to talk about the bad areas, but kind of good to hear that that uh, the weather turned out fine for, for some farmers this year to take advantage yep. of. We've, we've really got some beautiful harvesting weather looking at us for about the next 10 to 12 days, so we should get a lot of ground took care of in that period of time. Outstanding. Well, that just starts the process for next year, getting soil sampled, getting lime out there, all those types of things. Uh, we're talking with Rob yep. Dedman, who's a consultant down in the state of Arkansas. Rob, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you and stay safe this harvest season. 
Uh-huh, absolutely. Same to y'all. Let's head back to South Dakota here. Got our friend Anthony Bly with us right now with SDSU. Anthony, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You bet. You know, one of the challenges I hear, uh, since we are talking about our home state of South Dakota here, one of the things I hear, especially as we get out into the center part of the state, growers will say, man, I need to lime, I need to raise this pH up, but I don't have a ton of lime sources nearby, so it gets to be kind of spendy. Are, are we missing something here, or are they accurate in making those statements? Well, you know, we we, we got to make sure that we're accurate in determining if we need that lime, first of all. Um, you know, I say, I get get these questions a lot. Um, make sure that you're basing your lime recs off the buffer pH test, uh, for starters. Um, the water test for lime is a good place, uh, to, it's a good test to use as, as an indicator uh, if there is, you know, a problem or could be a problem, but we need to look at that buffer test. And I, I think there could be some misunderstandings out there on that. And, and um, I have seen where uh, we haven't, you know, we thought we needed lime, but, but I think, I think the jury is out that we don't. And um, I'm not doubting there are some places cause I've seen those there, there are some. So let's just make sure that we're looking at that buffer pH test. Yeah, the getting a good complete soil test is super important. I know everybody gets all excited because they think, oh, there's going to be one answer, and maybe if I haven't been liming, that might be the the total solution for all my problems. But man, Correct. there's a lot more right. going on in the soil than just one thing. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, <clears throat> it is difficult to get the lime lime to our center part of our state, and I've heard I've heard more and more of that uh, talk about pH lately coming from that area you know it started in the east uh, many years back and and uh, we have a couple sources in the eastern part of the state and and uh, there's a there's a lime mine in Gilmore City Iowa that's you know not that close but it's closer than uh, closer to us than it is Pierre. and um, so yeah I just think uh, we need to do a good job of soil sampling I heard you talking about grids or maybe those are zones um, uh, I've heard a case where lime got applied to a whole field situation and then they found out that some of their fields had way too high pH. And so we really need to good, do a good job of an of analysis first before we really write that check for that lime. You know, you're absolutely right on the, the maybe part of your field has an issue, but not the whole field. So we got to be really cautious. Brian and I talk a lot about taking smaller zones or smaller grids if we're ever going to work on big soil amendments like lime, that's for sure. How about when we get into these high sodium areas? We get so many questions about that in different parts of the state, and it's oftentimes uh, just a few acres here and a few acres there and gets put to the back burner, but those areas don't get better on their own. What can we be doing in those? spots no no so that's that's really a, a problem um that's got to be handled very delicately first of all those those soils are the tendency to have sodium in the in that area where that problem is is um it's been there for a long time and and so uh, we've got more water from our environment uh, we've changed farming practices some um, and so all of these things have have maybe made these sodium issues a little bit more noticeable. Uh, we think they're worse, but 
now we really see them. Um, you know, drainage is, is hard with sodium, and, and there's a lot of reports that uh, drainage under soils with sodium is, is not the thing to do. Um, well, it's not a total you know, fix, we, that's for sure, in our experience. No. We, we definitely, when you've got so much sodium in the soil that water's not really moving through the soil, uh, if you can't get water to move through, the drain tile isn't going to help on its own, no doubt about that. Hey, Anthony, we got to run here, but good luck to you here this fall. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPHD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPHD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPHD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates. And the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. AgPHD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPHD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking about soil pH. 
Let's talk about how to fix a high, high soil pH because very few want to discuss this topic. Many will even tell you, you can't fix a high soil pH. That's nonsense. High soil pH is typically caused by one of five things. Poor drainage, you can fix that with tile. Topsoil has disappeared. So I think of hilltops. There are a lot of hilltops that are 8.5 pH or 8 pH. It's because it's uh, full of full of lime and basically you're farming the subsoil. Okay, think about it that way. So you have to build new topsoil. Now, don't listen to people that tell you it takes a thousand years to build new topsoil. Also nonsense. You can build some new topsoil in five years. You got to reduce tillage, plant crops with lots of roots like corn, use manure or compost, use cover crops, use biologicals. You can absolutely start creating new topsoil in five years. And as you do that, your soil pH is going to come down. Next thing, poor irrigation water quality. High pH uh, water, high salt, there are issues there. So if you've got poor irrigation water, you have to treat it or you have to try to find better water. Otherwise, you're going to continue to have your high pH issue. And then earlier in the show, we talked about high magnesium and high sodium. If you have those things, number one, improve your drainage. Number two, make sure you have adequate sulfur in that field. Now, if you have poor drainage, you might already have 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 parts per million of sulfur. If that's the case, just the drainage alone might solve your magnesium and sodium problems. But let's say that you got a, a drainage issue and excess magnesium or sodium. You fix the drainage first, and if you don't have that excess or lots of sulfur in the soil, you just add a whole bunch of sulfur. And you don't have to do that instantly, but you can do that over time. And then what that's going to do is it's going to create magnesium sulfate or sodium sulfate, both of which would be salts, and salts are leachable. So the key is fix your drainage first. So anyway, it's it's not that complicated a thing. It's just, unfortunately, it's going to take time. As opposed to lime, if you put lime out there, within three years that lime will be fully broken down and your soil pH could go from, I don't care what it is, four, five, six, and you can raise it up to whatever you want in a short amount of time. But this high pH thing, it could take you 20 years. Now, when you hear 20 years, you're going to go, oh my goodness, and it's the end of the world and everything else. 20 years, I mean, time flies. I mean, for Darren and me, we, we started farming 30 years ago, and it seems like, not quite yesterday, but it seems like it was five years ago or eight years ago, not 30. So you just got to get started. And here's the great thing. You start doing any of these changes to lowering that pH, and your yields are going to start going up. So you're going to gain all the way along, and eventually when you get out there 20 years and you get that pH back down to 6, 8 or less – now things get really, really good. And the best part is you got it set up nice for the next generation. So whether it's your kids or nieces and nephews or whoever it is, doesn't matter. That ground's going to be in a lot better shape. Or if nothing else, if you want to sell it, well, it's worth a lot more because now you can show, oh, hey, I got this thing well balanced and my soil pH is right. Well, it's it's going to be amazing. So anyway, in the meantime, while you're working on lowering that pH, we would encourage you to do everything possible to raise a good crop, including balancing all plant nutrients, because I want you to think about it this way. The more crop you can raise out there, the more organic acids you're going to kick into that soil. A lot of people think plant roots, their number one job is to bring in water, which it is. Their number two job, bring in nutrients, which it is. 
but then they kind of forget about all the rest of the jobs other than, oh, maybe it's there to stabilize the plant, and that's important too. But one of the most important things that plant roots do that they often don't get credit for is they kick organic acids out into the soil, otherwise called chelating agents. And these organic acids or chelating agents will lower the soil pH. It's amazing. So you just get more healthy roots out there, and you're going to lower the soil pH. And then finally, if you have your drainage taken care of, and that has to be first in that high pH soil, then you can go ahead and use some elemental sulfur or ammonium sulfate to lower that pH. Now with the ammonium sulfate, you're, you're counting on ammonium being out there and the hydrogen releasing from the ammonium. Well, it would take an awful lot of that. Same kind of thing in the elemental sulfur. It's going to take an awful lot of elemental sulfur, but here's why elemental sulfur lowers that soil pH. Because what happens is elemental sulfur is weird. It has to be broken down in that soil by microbes. So they're literally bacteria that will break down the sulfur and convert it together with oxygen and water. Well, it's that hydrogen that's in the water. And then you end up with sulfuric acid or hydrogen sulfate. And that is going to lower your pH. But just think about anything with hydrogen. That's that's the whole point here. We got to get more hydrogen somehow in that soil. Well, with the sulfur and the water and the bacteria and the oxygen, it all kind of comes together and you end up releasing some hydrogen. And then you have lower soil pH. Okay, on the flip side of things, if you want to raise a soil pH, like I said earlier in the show, our number one thing that we're going to advise you to do is use small grids or small zones. And I realize you're going to say, Brian, it costs so much money to do one acre grids. Well, it doesn't cost that much money. I mean, you can run a Malik 3 test for like 10 bucks. And so, yeah, there's some labor involved, but Think about what you're going to spend on lime, number one, and think about what would happen if you had the same thing happen on your farm that happened to us, where we overlimed, we spent too much money on the lime, we lowered our yield, and then we had to spend more money in elemental sulfur to fix the problem. I'd have been way ahead to just spend 10 bucks an acre to do one acre grids and have it over with instead of costing me $100 on the backside. So use at least one time. I'm not saying you have to do this forever, but at least one time. Just use small grids or small zones. And don't let the people tell you uh, that are, are big believers in the zone thing that, oh, well, if you go zones, you can run big zones. That's absolutely not true. We have just seen that time and time again. You can't go with a great big zone. You can't do a 20-acre zone. It's not going to work. And if you don't believe that, test a big zone and then within that zone, pull one acre grids inside that zone and then see. And if I'm wrong, hey, I'm wrong. But at least now you know where is the variability in my field. But the big thing is, and it's just like uh, Anthony Bly was saying a little bit earlier, use that buffer index or buffer pH, and that's going to tell you how much lime you need to put on and vary it as you go through the field to maximize your yield and minimize your cost. So this is all about, and our whole talk today is about trying to help you maximize your profitability on the farm and keep your costs down. Okay, here's the other thing that I thought was interesting when we were talking with Rob Deadman, and he mentioned about the crops using up calcium. I also was thinking about nitrogen leaching out of the soil and taking calcium with it, and right. that's going to certainly vary from one area to the field, of the field to the next. So yep. varying the rate of nitrogen that you're using based on 
understand what your yield goals are in different areas of the field, I think is something else that the guys need to take a look at. And then Definitely. in terms of uh, of this pH issue, like say, let's try not to create it ourselves as much as we can. If we can try to get everything else right, hopefully we can can keep that calcium in place too. Very commonly, we'll get this question. Can my soil pH vary a point or a point and a half in a year or two years? Unless you put some type of soil amendment out there like lime, no. So here's where I'm going with this. Sometimes we'll say, a farmer will say, look, I did nothing in my field, yet my soil pH went from a 7.1 to an 8.3. In two years, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. So that what that's telling you is you didn't pull the sample from the same spot or you didn't pull it in the same way. You might have gone a different depth or run it at an angle or just done something different. So one of the most important things is just your soil sampling method. And what we're always going to encourage you to do is set GPS points. Whether you want to use grids or zones, I don't care, but you have to set GPS points and then you drive right to that GPS point and pull soil cores within about a 10-foot radius of that and you're done and you're good. You also want to use that so then you can match up yield to that as well. But you want repeatability if you're trying to figure out if things are going better or worse for you on the farm or if your nutrient levels in the soil are getting better or worse. If you keep picking different spots in the fields well you you aren't going to be able to see you aren't going to be able to track anything so that's really really important is how you set things up and how you actually pull your soil samples we'll get to more of your questions right after this stay tuned phil wants plant all day the Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. 
Ask your dealer for Longbow EC. Available for fall. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio and we are at the Ag PhD Mailbag time taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the rest of the show here. 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. Radio at agphd.com is our email. And if you don't want to be on the show, you can leave a message like Geronimo did from Indiana. He said, we're planting enlist soybeans using the three pre's. And for post, we're planning on using some clethodim and we're planning on using some cobra. And the cobra with the intention to help with any white mold. Uh, what rate do we need for the white mold with cobra, number one? Number two, is it really going to burn the beans and do I need to burn the beans or is there even a lower rate than what's recommended that might help? And then also uh, I'm planning on using enlist or Liberty for any big weed escapes. Okay. So several things there. First of all, on this Cobra deal for white mold, you only need six ounces. So it only costs around five bucks, not very expensive. We really like it. Does very well. So like on our farm, we'll just use it. Now, we didn't use any this year because we had record high temperatures in June and a record low rainfall. So I thought, ah, there's no chance we're going to get white mold. Now, as it turns out, we probably got just a few spots of white mold, but nothing compared to what we've seen in the last half a dozen years. But anyway, what we'll typically do is go out and spot spray the worst, let's call it 10, 20%. That's where 98% of our white mold issues are. So we're not spending the money in every single acre. So that's typically what we do. We go spray the Cobra by itself and spot spray it. Now, if you want to use it on everything, you certainly can. It's just that the six ounce rate is not fantastic on weed control and it is going to burn the beans a little bit. And I just don't love seeing that leaf burn if I don't have to, but it's certainly not bad. If you want to go the full rate, it's 12 and a half ounces. That's going to give you a little more leaf burn. But let me say this on the leaf burn thing. It's much better if you have good levels of boron in the plant. What we always used to recommend with Cobra was some solubor. Darren, was it a pound and a quarter? I think it was a pound and a quarter to the acre of solubor. Okay, and solubor 20% boron? Something like that. Yep, 20% boron. Okay, yep. Hard to remember stuff from 25 years ago. Anyway, I I would say that made an absolute difference. I mean, like night and day difference in many fields in terms of reducing the leaf burn. So have good boron levels, and then you won't see as much leaf burn typically. 
But anyway, Copra is not a bad product for controlling certain weeds like ragweed, for example. That's one of the best, that, that I mean, one of the weeds it's best on. And also water hemp and, and palmer pigweed, not bad as long as those weeds are small. Okay, in terms of enlist or liberty for weed escapes, yeah, I, I'll, I'll say this though. I love both products, but here's the challenge with Liberty. You have to have great spray coverage. So whenever I think about weed escapes, when people say the word escape to me, that tells me late spraying. And if you think about trying to spray Liberty late when you've got crop canopy, it's not going to work very well. It's just not. So enlist, sure, it's fine because enlist is 2,4-D. It's the new 2,4-D that doesn't volatilize. It will move through the plant. It'll translocate through the plant. So if you just get it on the top leaves, you're in good shape. Whereas Liberty, if you just get it on the top leaves, you have not killed that weed and it's going to it's going to branch out later on. And also you probably are building up tolerance now to Liberty. So I don't like any of that stuff. So that that's my only caution for you that I would have on this weed escape thing and saying Liberty. Darren, was there anything else? Did I missed something there? Or is that it? No, I think you hit that all. I okay. had a lot of lot of questions there, and yes. and there are you know as as we see many farmers switching over to that enlist system, their market share grew significantly last year. Just things like killing volunteer corn that was probably one of the biggest failures that we saw this summer. As guys weren't anticipating as much antagonism with yeah, the volunteer you, corn herbicide, you got to dramatically bump the rate on the volunteer corn herbicide two to three times as much to overcome it. Otherwise, I mean, you can certainly switch things up and spray your volunteer corn herbicide by itself or just with Roundup or some other herbicide. But as soon as you put it with 2,4-D or dicamba, it's just a killer on the volunteer corn product. All right, let's jump back to the phone lines here. We've got Gary up in Saskatchewan and uh, speaking about mixing 2,4-D with things, Gary's thinking about glyphosate. How you doing, Gary? Doing well. How about you guys? Good, good. Okay, what are you, what are you spraying? And then uh, talk to us about your mix a little bit. So needing to or we're going to spray roundup for our winter annuals and uh, mainly perennials like Canada thistle uh, but we have volunteer roundup ready canola that we need to take care of so wanted to put some 2,4-D with, uh, with the roundup uh, will that affect the roundup efficacy in controlling the Canada thistle yes Yep, you will not see the same long-term control. You'll burn it down just the same. But there will probably be some of those Canada thistle plants that will come back next year. What What are you going to... So what would you recommend to uh, to get the Roundup Ready Canola without affecting... Because the thistles are number one. Okay. Got to get them. Okay. But what are you going to plant next year? Uh, wheat or barley. Okay. The reason why I bring that up is... You could, if you wanted to, throw some stinger out there so you have residual. So that would... Stay active in that because the names are all different up here. Yeah, good point. Uh, let's see. What's the... what? It, what Clopyrolid? Stinger? Yes, clopyrolid. Yep. That, yep. Yep. Okay. We're, yeah. we're going with clopyrolid. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. so gotcha. anyway, it, it's hard. There, there get to be so many products and, and sometimes <laughs> they get confused. Anyway. Okay. So that would be something you could throw in there that would have residual for you. So then not only are you going to burn everything down, but you'll leave some residual for next year. So then your Canada thistle pressure will be a lot less. That will not get the canola though. No, no, no. I, I'm not. So 
I'm not trying to suggest that it will. I'm saying, (laughs) and I know you're not going to like this, Roundup plus 2,4-D plus the Stinger. I'm just throwing options out for you. The other thing that that I would say that – you know, if you're trying to keep your costs down, which most people are, then I would say just run with your program you're 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 planning on right now, your Roundup 24D thing, and then next year you got to hit it real early. But Stinger is amazing on thistles, so in wheat it's great. The problem with Stinger is it can last for quite a while in the soil, and so when I start thinking about Canada in general, obviously it's colder than where we farm, so it's going to last potentially longer in the soil. So as long as you're not using some or planting some crop that chlorpyrrolid could hurt, then you should be in good shape. And typically what chlorpyrrolid could possibly hurt are the broadleaf crops, not so much the grass crops. Yes. So you don't have an option to get the Roundup ready canola that won't affect your thistle control with the Roundup? Uh... What about to Valor, think. Brian? Well, would Valor add too much burn? Valor's got some burn to it too. Yeah, I know. Is it going to fully burn down? Is it fully going to burn down this volunteer canola that's out there, though? That's kind of my question. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you have the same product down there. We've used Express. It's a yep, group two. Yep, we do. The problem with that is uh, short days this time of year, and every night you need to rinse your sprayer out because you don't want to leave that stuff sitting in your sprayer because it has a tendency to show up when you least expect it if you do that. Yeah. And I don't have the patience to be wasting that kind of time cleaning the sprayer out every single night. Yeah. This time of year. Yep. No, I'm with you on that. Uh, let's see. I'm just trying to think of anything else that I would I could come up with. I, you know, again, though, it's not like I'm super worried that we're not going to get some permanent uh, thistle control. It's just you're not going to get as much permanent thistle control but here let me ask you one other important question have you had a frost yet no can't believe it but so far nothing and (laughs) nothing in the forecast either okay well the reason why i ask is the roundup performance on weeds like canada thistle goes from like 80 percent to 20 percent after the frost and it's the exact same reason as throwing the 24d in there because it doesn't get it isn't able to get down into that extensive root system so that would that would really be my concern. Uh, would MCTA be any better or no, worse or same no. idea? Uh, same same basic principle. So it it's also okay. going to shut the plant down fairly quickly. All those growth regulators, whether you're talking two four D or you know, amine or L V six or Freelex or MCP, just like Dicamba, I mean it's going to shut that plant down quickly. Whereas Roundup works really slowly, especially as kind of like you say, the nights are getting colder and everything else. So no, I don't have any fantastic answer for you. I'd say just do what you're planning to do, but then next spring be ready to go when you're when you're seeding your wheat. And you know, soon after, if you're seeing thistles, you got to get after them with that chlorpyrrolid. Understood. Thanks right. so much. You bet. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Really appreciate the call. Good luck to you on your spring. Thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.